It's Morning Edition on NHPR. I'm Rick Ganley, and this is the New Hampshire News Recap. New Hampshire's health care system is understaffed and struggling to meet demand, and the state's tough housing market is part of the problem. Paul Kuno Booth covers health and equity for us here at NHPR, and he's been reporting on this issue. Good morning, Paul. Hey, Rick. So, Paul, it, it's it's difficult for a lot of people to, to get an affordable apartment or house right now, and your reporting showed that's no different for health care workers. What are some of the obstacles that they're encountering with this housing market? Sure. So healthcare workers are dealing with the same thing all of us are, which is there is simply not enough housing in New Hampshire. That makes it really hard for people to find a place. It also drives up prices for everyone. Um, it's worth noting that some of our major healthcare employers are based in rural areas like Dartmouth-Hitchcock in the Upper Valley. So they often have to recruit from farther away. There aren't enough people locally to meet the demand. So they have a lot of employees, you know, coming from out of state and and encountering this really tough and expensive housing market we're all dealing with. Um, some of these employers have actually had people accept jobs and then withdraw when they realize just how hard it is to, to find a place in New Hampshire. Now, I know you talked with a person who's working in mental health care now but is unable to find a place for her and her family. Can you tell us about her specific situation? Yeah. So uh, I spoke to Barbara Hutchinson, who is a child therapist working at a community mental health center in Peterborough. And, you know, she really loves her job. She loves helping kids, loves working with them. But she told me she's struggled to find housing in this area. You know, she's got a master's degree. She's working full time, but she makes around 40000 a year. She's got a 12-year-old son. And when rentals are going for 1800 1900 a month, houses are selling for over $300,000, um, it's just really hard to, to make that work. So she's thought about, you know, whether she'll have to move out of state to find affordable housing. Here's how she put it to me when we spoke. We don't make great money in, in community mental health. It, it's just not there. Um, but we don't do it for the money right? But you still have to be able to live. It's worth noting that, you know, people like her, mental health clinicians are really in demand. There's hundreds of vacancies right now in New Hampshire, but wages haven't kept up with the cost of living for a lot of these critical health workers, mental health workers, LNAs, and and other workers. Yeah, and healthcare workers are in high demand right now across the state. I know, Paul, what are the consequences of the state facing, uh, what consequences is the state facing over this housing shortage for employees? Sure. So, you know, housing is is far from the only factor behind the widespread staff shortages we're seeing in healthcare right now, but it's definitely not helping. I spoke to several people who work in healthcare in New Hampshire, and they said, you know, high housing costs have been really hard for them, and they're just not sure if it's going to be feasible to stay in this state long term. Uh, that's a problem because we already need more nurses, more LNAs, more therapists, um, and. and those shortages do have a big impact. You know, some organizations are paying tons of money for expensive temporary staffing. It also means that, you know, some patients face delay in getting care they need. A clear example of that is in our state's mental health system right now, where a lack of capacity has resulted in people being held in emergency rooms because there's just no space for them at a mental health facility. State officials say, you know, one factor limiting that capacity is staffing shortages. They do have plans to expand the mental health system in the coming year. Um, but to make that happen, they will probably need to find ways to expand the mental health workforce as well. Well, I want to ask you about how what healthcare organizations are doing right now so they can kind of keep and even you know, hire and keep the employees that need a place to live. Yeah, some hospitals have, you know, recognized that housing is such an issue that they've actually started leasing out apartments and subleasing them to, to new employees just to make sure that, that new hires have a place to land and, and don't turn down jobs because of housing. 
But you know, obviously, not every employer can can manage like uh, manage that. And and for many healthcare organizations, especially ones that serve a lot of Medicaid patients, one of the biggest challenges is is just being able to pay their staff a living wage. You know, they say state Medicaid funding is too low for them to do that, and so. You know that makes it hard for them to hire enough people, which in turn makes it hard for them to to meet the need for healthcare. Yes. Yeah, so what are lawmakers considering to do to address the problem? Yeah. So state lawmakers are considering a significant increase in Medicaid funding in the next state budget. This is something providers have have really pushed for this year. Exactly what those rate increases will be, um, that's still being worked out. So it's an open question if that'll be enough to address some of these shortages. Okay, we'll be watching for your reporting and for updates on this. Paul Kuno-Booth covers health and equity for NHPR. Thank you very much, Paul. Thank you. It's Morning Edition here on NHPR. We're recapping this week's news. If you've got questions about what's been going on in the state, you can email us at voices at nhpr.org. In other news this week, Governor Chris Sununu recently announced he'd consider signing a marijuana legislation bill, quote, with the right policy and framework in place. And that's led to a hurried effort in the state house to get legislation through. I'm joined now by senior political reporter Josh Rogers for more on that. Good morning, Josh. Good morning, Rick. So, Josh, what does this new bill in the House look like? What would it, what would it do? Well, functionally, this plan uh, fuses legislation that had been backed by leaders of both caucuses in the House, uh, Jason Osborne, the majority leader, Matt Wilhelm, the minority leader, uh, that would allow adults to possess up to four ounces of marijuana. Their bill envisioned, um, you know, private uh, sellers of marijuana, uh, and that's one element of the bill. The the four ounces is the element taken from that bill. The um, the rest of this plan borrows. Uh, from a, a bill considered last year that would create a state-run monopoly of marijuana stores with tight strictures, uh, kind of a control state model under the Liquor Commission. Uh, and this week showed that the drafting of this bill and the fusing of those concepts, uh, you know, was a rushed product, as, as you indicated. The amendment as written, uh, this amendment was sponsored by uh, House Commerce Committee Chairman John Hunt, uh, contained contradictory language on how the proposal would intersect with New Hampshire's uh, marijuana, medical marijuana program, uh, whether the intent of this new plan would be to allow uh, state-sanctioned uh, therapeutic cannabis sellers to uh, continue uh, selling under recreational cannabis law and ultimately allow them to sell recreational cannabis as well. That's one big thing that needs ironing out. But, you know, as drafted, this bill does keep the four-ounce possession limit and forbids public consumption. Uh, the bill passed in the House and killed by the Senate uh, would have allowed uh, use anywhere you can smoke. Uh, that was unpopular with senators and with the governor. Uh, the House plan would have also taxed growers at the wholesale rate at you know, 12.5%. This bill envisions the state purchasing cannabis from uh, growers and then selling it at a markup. I mean, it's very much yeah. like the, the liquor store model. Um, but, but Josh, does it align with the governor's, uh, you know, well, right policy? That's, that's, I mean, that's, that's, that's kind of the question here. It's not like the governor said, this is precisely what I want. If you recall, he did edge towards uh, endorsing that bill that was under consideration last year, the state-run monopoly proposal. This bill certainly replicates aspects of that, and it contains tight controls on marketing. That's something the governor has indicated he wants. No billboards advertising marijuana under this plan. Towns mm -hmm. could opt in. There are other details in line with what the governor has called for. But Representative Hunt, who wrote this bill, did tell me this week that he'd not talked to the governor about the plan he cobbled together in hopes of satisfying him, um, which on the one hand is odd given that Sununu is why this late push is happening, but it's also sort of in keeping with the governor's uh, kind of arm's length 
strength relationship with lawmakers, particularly in the House. Um, you know, the presumption is this bill will get out of the House. Uh, whatever emerges from the committee next week, they're going to vote on a Tuesday. Um, and that will be the first step. Yeah, and the New Hampshire Senate, we have to say, has repeatedly voted down any attempts at legalization. Uh, it has. Uh, this month, the Senate did create a commission to study uh, cannabis legalization, and there is little right now to suggest the Senate's looking to move terrifically fast on this. And, you know, it's worth noting that the governor did tell reporters last week that he was sort of thinking about this more for next year than this year, although he said he would sign it if it reached his desk. Uh, there is time and on paper there is a path to potentially getting this through. There are, there were senators, new senators who as House members had supported the uh, control state model, but uh, absent a push from the governor, and that doesn't seem too likely at this point, you know, it's hard to it's hard to yeah. be too confident this is going to happen. Right. Well, speaking of the governor, Josh, he has not announced that he's a candidate for the 2024 no. presidential race. But but he did continue his national media tour with a segment on The View yesterday. It's maybe his biggest platform yet. What did the governor tell the audience about his record here in New Hampshire? And how does that line up with some actual facts? Well, uh, you know, it, it, as you point out, a lot of people watch The View. And, um, you know, uh, Sununu was uh, sort of chipper in his appearance. He, he painted a very upbeat picture of New Hampshire and his record, uh, he talked up, uh, you know, what he called his collaborative nature, being respectful of differences of opinion. Uh, leadership is about lifting people up. He said at one point, you know, that hasn't always precisely been his M.O. in Concord. But what the governor did talk up was much in keeping with what he's claimed for some time, that in New Hampshire we work together, that local control delivers results. Um, you know, he, he, he did call out Republicans who are talking up the possibility of a national abortion ban. He said that that hurt the party. He certainly uh, criticized uh, former President Trump. Uh, and at one point, one of the hosts, Joy Behar, actually said to him that he sounded like uh, President Biden. Um, you know, Sununu had, had, a, had a joke about that. He was yeah. pushed a bit on gun policy. At one point, he did claim that uh, New Hampshire had uh, the opioid uh, situation here quote, under control. Uh, it's certainly worth pointing out that overdoses are on the rise. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he also suggested he's, his leadership could deliver tax cuts even if Democrats were in control in Concord, uh, which uh, probably not. But, um, you know, this was largely Sununu making the pitch he's been making as he travels across the country mulling a presidential bid. And on that front, I mean, he was certainly asked if he was going to get in the race, when he was going to get in the race, and uh, we got no clear answers there. Yeah, he still says it's just... Very early. Uh, the GOP field for 2024 is widening, though. Former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley was in New Hampshire this week. U.S. Senator Tim Scott also here declaring. But now that they are both declared candidates, Josh, let's start with Nikki Haley. What did she have to say on her campaign stop here? Well, she made several stops. I caught Haley at St. Anselm College, Politics and Eggs. Uh, you know, she stressed that she's a conservative, an accountant uh, by education and, you know, by nature. Um, you know, she told the crowd that she'd been underestimated for her entire life, which is a set piece uh, of her. She closed with that. Uh, overall, Haley said little she hadn't said during earlier visits. She's been here a couple of times. Um, one new thing she did say was on the topic of abortion. She was pressed first by Jim Brett, who's the who kind of moderates these things, and then by an audience member on where she'd be on a national abortion ban. And she said for the first time that she would sign one. She called herself unapologetically pro-life. She did sign a 20-week abortion ban as South Carolina governor. But she also said that she thought it was counterproductive for Republicans to you know, get pinned down about gestational limits and said that practically speaking, given the political realities of the country, getting the 60 votes you'd need in the U.S. Senate to break a filibuster is 
unlikely. Right. Um, yeah. But, you know, uh, it, I think her talk on abortion, what Sununu said, shows that this issue is, is complicated for Republicans yeah. at the moment. What about Tim Scott? Well, he's another uh, person from South Carolina, Senator. Uh, Scott's been here twice previously. Uh, yesterday, he visited his first uh, visit as an official candidate. His campaign's based very much on a vision of uplift, his personal story, born to a single parent, you know, uh, formative experience working at Chick-fil-A, football scholarship to college, insurance salesman. You know, he's religious. Uh, an exceptionalism of opportunity message is something he preaches, kind of mm-hmm. anti-wokeism, but with a Christian patina. Uh, you know, he, he's looking back in some ways to a pre-Trump Republican social conservative message. You know, he goes over reasonably well. I, I think it's it's hard for any candidate uh, not named Donald Trump at the moment in the Republican Party to get traction. There is, of course, a lot of time and a lot of uh, things are going to be happening between now and when voters really get serious about making up their minds. Yeah, that's very true. Josh is a senior political reporter here for NHPR. Thank you, Josh. You're welcome. You can find more of Josh Rogers' political reporting and Paul Kuno Booth's health coverage right here at NHPR at nhpr.org. And, of course, we're here next Friday at this time with a fresh recap. I'm Rick Yanley, and this is NHPR.